How many of you have ever done a personality test or profile before? Okay, pretty much everybody in the room. You know, there's those super common ones, the DISC scale or the DISC uh, typing D-I-S-C, and you're kind of a combination of a few different ones. Uh, the Myers-Briggs, which is like the 16, or you get four letters, which nobody ever really remembers what they all mean, or I'm an I-N-W-Z, and people are like, cool, I've got letters too, and we just roll with it, never really helpful. Uh, maybe, you know, the Enneagrams of FAD, don't know where you fall on that. Uh, you, get, you get assigned a number instead of letters, so it's not really that big of a difference. Uh, but there's also these ones where uh, people have kind of had some fun, be like, instead of saying, hey, what letters are you, or what color animal, maybe perhaps uh, what TV sitcom character are you, or from Seinfeld or The Office. Uh, I did some research of some of the other fun personality tests out there. Uh, one of them is what type of potato chip are you? Which, as Americans, that seems very fitting. We're all just some sort of potato chip laying around type of situation. There was a uh, what flavor of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Come to find out, there's like 900 flavors. So there's a lot of options. Uh, for your, the ladies in the room, guys too, if you want, uh, there's a what style of accent rug are you? Uh, that's just the thing. You can figure out. I don't even know there's a difference. There's rugs and not rugs. That's about it. All it is comes down. But apparently, it's, you know, come to my house, it's a big deal. Uh, but one of my favorites that I came across is what type of vegetable are you? So this is what it tests. So you, you take about, it was about 20 questions, and it assigns you a vegetable, okay? Um, if you're sitting next to somebody, I would just like, you just want to say, like, what type of vegetable do you think your spouse would be, right? Like, and it gave you like 11. You could tell them, hey, I, hey, hey, babe, I think you're a lemon, you know, or I would, just kidding, don't say that, um, you know. But so, so I took this test, what type of vegetable am I? And uh, I was thinking maybe I would get broccoli or, or maybe cauliflower or bell pepper, and this is what I got. Uh, I am officially a jalapeno pepper. And to some of you, this might be surprising. Others of you, yeah, that fits. And this was the definition, so please don't judge me. It's just this is the rules of the test. I'm going to share it with you. It says, you are a jalapeno. You're spicy and strong up front, which I was like, mm, spicy, I like that. Um, many potentially find that you are abrasive and off-putting at first. <laughs> Thank you, Brock. It says, but those who spend more time with you come to enjoy the flavor, versatility, and power you bring to the dishes of life. And I was like, mm, I am a jalapeno. Pickled or not. You know, one of the great things about personality tests is that they teach us we are all different. Not every one person is the same. And our text, as we continue this true north study through 1 Corinthians, is going to kind of build on that same idea that we are all different. We have different gifts, personalities. We have different passions in our lives. And the Bible consistently refers to these things as spiritual gifts. But the thing we need to remember is God did it on purpose. He doesn't make the whole body of Christ all the same, nor is he trying to make every single person like a particular person. And so I want to start off by, by just kind of telling you that do you know that there is something special and unique about you? Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, there's something special about you. It's just funny because we, we sometimes think that as Christians, we all have a particular way we're supposed to look or talk or, or certain words we're supposed to use, but Scripture makes it clear. We are all different. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a group of, uh, of Pharisees, disciples, people around him, and he talks about this idea of being born again, one of the most famous passages, John chapter 3. 
And he says to, to Nicodemus, he says, in order for you to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And we oftentimes assert being born again as a Christian into going and being with God in heaven someday. But the Bible will continually, especially throughout the life of Jesus, build on this idea that when you are born again, you are not the old you, you are made into a new creation. There is something new and different about you because of the Spirit of God that now inhabits you. And one of these things is that as you step into the family of God, you are given a spiritual or a set of spiritual gifts. Now, I understand that just even using that phrase might cause some of you to twitch a little bit. Some of you, your, your, your church history background is kind of all up and down with maybe a varying denomination about spiritual gifts. Others of you, maybe you're kind of exploring faith, you're exploring Christianity, not sure what to make with it, but you've got that weird neighbor who talks about them all the time, and it's kind of like, yeah, I kind of like Jesus, not really into that whole spiritual gift. It kind of seems a little hocus-pocusy to me. Others of you, you might have a very, very strong, definitive view on how you feel about spiritual gifts. Others of you, you're saying, I don't really know a whole lot about them. And so that's just kind of the preface, the disclaimer for us today is that we're not going to attack a particular domination. We're not going to kind of go after people of a different church. We want to just be true and unpack our text today. So today is about spiritual gifts. Why do they exist? What are they? And how do we approach them? So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, we've been in the series True North talking about this idea of how, how God has given us a new way of, of being uh, alive, a new way of seeing and focusing on life. He changes our beliefs, our actions, a different way to view our context, and that hopefully comes together to give us a worldview because whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, know it or not, you operate in this life with a worldview, and that worldview dictates how you view relationships. It dictates how you value certain things. It dictates what you do with your time and your money. And so Paul is kind of saying, we've been saying this from, from week one, that 1 Corinthians is all about getting this group of, uh, of Christians 2,000 years ago to adjust their worldview to be Christ-centered. Chapter 12 starts this uh, section talking about spiritual gifts, talking about the church, unity. For chapters 12, 13, and 14, they all kind of come together you see, a lot of 1 Corinthians up to this point, maybe you felt this, has been a lot of vertical stuff, our relationship with God. Chapter 11, as Pastor Samuel talked about last week, phenomenal message on communion. If you haven't heard it, highly recommend you check that out. It begins to say, okay, but now this Christ-centered worldview has horizontal implications with our brothers and sisters and the world around us. And so spiritual gifts kind of come into this this morning. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, you can follow along with me me says this it says now about the gifts of the spirit brothers and sisters I do not want you to be uninformed some translations I don't want you to be ignorant about this you know that when you were pagans somehow or another you were influenced or led astray to mute idols therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul kind of begins to talk about, hey, spiritual gifts. This is kind of what they are. Have you ever signed up, though, for like one of those 
those newsletters, like, like one of those like online marketing, hey, uh, here's something that might interest you. Uh, if you sign up for our email uh, newsletter, then we're going to give you this free ebook or this free 30-day plan. You ever sign up for one of these? And then like every day, for, like every like seven hours, you get an email from these people trying to sell you something more and deeper. Well, you only scratch the surface. If you want to sign up for our program, you're going to really get the keys unlocked. Maybe you fall and pray for I fall pray for these all the time because I'm like, just give me the free stuff. I don't want anything to do with you. Just give me the free thing so I can move on. And that's kind of what was happening in the ancient Corinthian culture is you had all these, as Paul said, these mute gods, these fake gods, these pagan gods who couldn't talk, they weren't real, they had all these various temples and sacrifices, and these people would say, okay, if you want to be rich, if you want to get six-pack abs, if you, if if you want to have a baby, whatever it is, you come to this altar, you, you pray, you sacrifice, and they're going to give you every wildest dream that could come true. And then so you would go, you would visit, you would sacrifice, you'd do the thing, and then like a charlatan, one of, these, one of the people who, who ran the, the temple would say, oh, by the way, the rules have changed. You need to do a little bit more this time. You need to add a little bit here. You need to come back for every three straight weeks or something crazy like that in order to get the real thing. And Paul kind of steps in. And Paul says, hey, that ain't how it works. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, we no longer live by that. Not only do we not have a mute God, we have a living God. We have a God who is proclaiming his good news. He's saying, you are new, new creations. That's not how it works. That's why he says, beginning of uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, therefore, do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await Jesus to be revealed. And that's where we get our first kind of hint. What are spiritual gifts for? What purpose do they play? It's to help us reveal Jesus in our own lives, but specifically those around us. But Paul begins to say, why do we have gifts in the first place? We have gifts because Jesus is alive. Because the spirit is dead, because God is speaking, he is active, he is proclaiming his good news and his plan to reach the world. The Apostle Paul says this in in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 5, he said, so he made us alive with Christ. Not something to be put off, not something to wait until you get there. We are alive, we are new creatures with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, our sin, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But he continues, he says, so in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of that grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So what Paul is saying is the grace that we step into the kingdom of God begins to embody us as new creations. There is a work to be done. There is a news to be proclaimed. We do not have a silent or mute savior. He is actively pursuing, but he says it begins with the spirit must inhabit you. So to put it in the Eric translation, why do gifts exist in the first place? Because the spirit is alive, or we could put it this way. No spirit, no gifts. No spirit, no gifts. Some of you are like, that's brilliant. That is like the most uh, academic thing I've ever read in my life. 
This is what Paul is saying. If you don't have the spirit of God living in you, if you have not been made into a new creation, if you're just kind of exploring faith, Christianity, you have no spiritual gift because they only come through and from the grace of God in your life. So if there's no spirit in you, this conversation is kind of going to be for for later on or, or, or for some time in the future. But if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you claim to be born again and you know the spirit is alive in you, then you need to know your gifts. He says, no spirit, no gifts, but no the spirit, no gifts. Think about that. You haven't just been saved from your sin. You've been given the grace of God to do something. You've been given grace to partner in the mission. Why do we have gifts? It's because God loves us and wants to redeem our world around us. We don't have gifts because we've been good Christian boys or girls. We don't have gifts because we've read our Bible enough times or we've said enough prayers. We have gifts because we are disciples of Jesus. And God has made it abundantly clear, if you know the Spirit is alive in you, you need to know your gifts. Because there is something I want to do with you. There is something I want to do through you. I want to give you something to partake in proclaiming my glory. So why do we have gifts? It's because the spirit of God is alive. Because Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. Jesus said, I'm not counting your sins against you. Welcome to my family. But as soon as you step into this, as soon as you put on the jersey that says team Jesus across the chest, what that means is you now have a supernatural grace of your Lord and Savior saying "You you have work to do. I'm giving you something different about you that is going to help proclaim my good news. So what are those gifts? Uh, Continue on, picking up in verse 4. This is just one of many passages that talk about spiritual gifts, but he continues in verse 4. He says, there are many different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the highlight under circle line, this word, common good. It's been given to you for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And another, speaking in different tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these things work of one and of the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. There are four key passages when it comes to kind of, we would say, the bulk of spiritual gifts. You can remember it this way. It's 12, 12, 4, and 4. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. And there's other passages that reference them and some other ones, but those are the four key passages that come together. And throughout these passages, there's actually four different kinds of words used to refer to spiritual gifts. There's the word charisma, the word um, uh, pneumatokis, diakonia, and ergonmeda. And these four words come together to show we have different types of gifts. There are different ways they get used. They get flushed out in different kinds of manners. They, they vary. That's why Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He puts it this way, talking about how they differ. He says, each of you should use whatever gift, not the same gift, not all strive for the one thing that you have received to serve others, the common good, as faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. 
I believe it's uh, one of the, the older translations calls it, you have been given varied grace. There's a gracious endowment. And so when we begin to pull these things together, we say that Paul, from, uh, through the act of the Spirit, says that God has chosen you, has given you gracious abilities, special abilities to help reveal the glory of God for the sake of those around you, to further ministry and mission to partner with Jesus in the church. Now, you ever given a gift to somebody that blew their mind before, right? It's like super fun to give somebody a gift that blows their mind, right? You know, oh, how did you know? I can't believe you, you, you knew that that's what I wanted. Anybody ever give a gift that was underappreciated? Like a gift that you're like, come on, this is way better than I thought. So it was my wife's birthday this last weekend. And I'm gonna show you guys what I got her. She doesn't know this. Well, she knows because I gave it to her, but this is what I got her for her birthday. And some of you are kind of looking at this being like, what is that? Others of you are judging me very bad right now. You got your wife that for her birthday. Let me explain before you get all up and hot and bothered. My wife like, okay, when it comes to love languages, we talked about love languages, five love languages. For my wife, it's like words of affirmation, chicken Alfredo, and then like acts of service or whatever the rest are. It's like, it is close up there. And my wife literally lives for Olive Garden chicken Alfredo. Uh, some of you remember the story that like we almost got divorced like, like a month into our marriage because I ate her leftovers one time. And so it's a big deal uh, for Diana Friedman to have. And so, so you know, she, she loves Olive Garden. She loves uh, the chicken Alfredo. So I came up with this brilliant idea. Honey, this year for your birthday, we're going to do something special. I'm going to get you a pasta maker. So some of you, your eyes have been opened. This is a pasta maker. There's an attachment missing or whatever. And so some of you might be thinking, this is the worst gift a husband could ever give to a spouse. Some of you are like, how selfish are you? Hold on, okay? Because this gift was extraordinarily thoughtful because this is what happened as a result. I said, hey, I got you this pasta maker. Go make yourself some dinner. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do that. What we did is we figured out how to make the pasta together, which is kind of not hard but kind of very hard at the same time. It's like four ingredients. Sometimes you could just do three ingredients, but we wanted to make like a real pasta. We're gonna make the dough and you kind of massage it for like 10 minutes and then you put it in like a little blanket and it, it's gotta like hang out with itself. Like, are we cool with being pasta? Yeah, okay. And then you roll it out and then you put it through the thing and attach it. What kind of noodles do you want? And you roll it out. It's a great gift because it came with attention. It came with uh, an understanding of what she likes. There was a recognition of what uh, my wife values in life. It was unique. It was special. She enjoyed it. It showed purpose. And most importantly, it was something that we could share together. Some of you are like, okay, that's a pretty good gift. Okay, I'll give you that. Consider this, that once you stepped into the family of God, by the grace and the power of the Spirit, God saw it vital to give you a very special, unique, on-purpose gift. He didn't just pick something random off a wall, be like, okay, I'm going to give Sally this, I'm going to give John this gift, whatever, it doesn't really matter. He said, no, 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 I know who you are. I know what makes you tick. 
I understand what kind of maybe gets you passionate about it. I know your story. I know your past. I also know where you're headed. So I'm going to give you a very unique and special gift so that when we do this thing called church, when we do this thing called evangelism, when we do this thing called revealing the glory of God to the entire world, to help people and find and follow Jesus, to help people take next steps, I've given you something very specific. But what he doesn't want you to do is take your gift and just put it in a box and just say, cool, thanks. Because this is sometimes what we do with our spiritual gifts. We've been given new life. You've been given the gift of the Spirit. We take our gifts and we kind of just walk around with it. We don't really know what to do with it. Maybe you haven't even opened your gift. At some point, some of us, we take our gift and we just we cast it aside. I don't really want to use my gift. I don't want to take the time to figure it out. Somebody else will do that. And God said, I've given you an amazing gift. You need to open it. You need to understand it. You need to use it because what is at stake? So when it comes to the spiritual gifts, what are they? These four passages, the the 12, 12, 4, 4, kind of teach us there are 20 kind of primary spiritual gifts. Some people might say there's more like 23. Other people might say there's like 50-something. But for the sake of our conversation, we're going to take the key passages. There's about 20 gifts. And these 20 gifts help us to understand and discern. So here's the, So if you are not a note taker, guess what? Today you probably should have been because all of this I'm about to share is on the back side of our notes. So we printed off extra. You can thank Pastor Samuel for that. And so on the back you can get this, all this, all this kind of research. So here's what spiritual gifts are and so on and so forth. But kind of a fun fact, take notes because you get freebies with it. Okay. And so we said, here are kind of 20 spiritual gifts of the 12, 12, 4, where we kind of see them break out. And so at first we have the calling gifts. These are the gifts that, that God has given to kind of like say, this is kind of who you are called to be. You have maybe it's a personality thing, maybe it's a specific task or goal. And we see some of these, and we see, if you see one of them in Ephesians chapter 4, is the gift of prophecy. And a lot of times we get the idea of prophecy mixed up. 95% of the time when the Bible refers to prophecy, it's not about future telling. It's about proclaiming God's news. That's why we've put it here. Prophecy is really more so like preaching. It's people who aren't maybe trying to encourage you, maybe are. They just like to yell at you. So I have the gift of prophecy. Every week I get 30 minutes to yell at you guys, tell you to get your act together and go love Jesus, right? It's super fun for me. Maybe not so much for you, but whatever. It's my gift. I need to use it. Okay. So here's the thing. So, so there's like gifts like prophecy, right? Okay, you know, how does that differ from teaching? Prophecy is just simply saying, this is what God says. This is the truth. We can't change it, adjust whatever. Teaching is kind of like with Samuel's we all say, I want you to understand this. I want you to know. I want to help you put it into practice. I just want to get up there and just say, this is what it says. You figure it out. That's why you got other people on your team type of deal. Then there's these serving gifts that come alongside to help things further ministry. Uh, there's a gift of, of helps. These are people who I had to figure this out, who just like to help you. And it's, I'm talking about like just your mom, okay? Like these are just people who just like to serve uh, other people. They're saying, hey, I don't know where we're going or what we're doing. You just tell me what I need to do. God has given gifts to people to say, this is simply a gift, is to come alongside and you just say, you tell me what to do because this is what I'm here for. One of this, uh, this is one that, that some of you might say, okay, hold on, what does this mean? There's a gift of financial contribution or a gift of giving. We are all called to tithe. Every single person who follows Jesus, you are called to tithe. But there are people who just know how to make money. And these are the people where it's like, man, like, what's a business plan? Uh, how does that work? You might be like, I don't know. I don't like spreadsheets. I don't like it. But you have these people who they just know how to make money. And if that's you, if you have the gift of financial contribution, guess what? 
That is a gift God has given you that he wants you to use to make ministry happen. It is a gift. Not everybody has that ability to do that. And then there are what are called the charismatic gifts. And these are the ones that depending on what church maybe you grow up on or people want to know where do we stand. And these are the gifts with maybe those little bit more supernatural expressions, miracles, wisdom, knowledge. Not necessarily like are you a wise person. It's things that the Spirit gives to you in certain moments and experiences. Uh, faith, healings, discernment, tongues, interpretation. All of these come together. Like for me, when it comes to the charismatic gifts, I have the gift of discernment. And what that means is, is I just like know stuff. Like I can just read between the lines. People send in like a, like a prayer request. There's a discernment thing. I don't know how it is, but I'm able to discern, okay, this is real, this is not. It's just something that we have. So there are 20 different types of gifts. You have at least one. At least one. Some of you might very well know, looking at this list, what your gifts are. Some of you, you might need help discerning what those gifts are. I'm your boy. But you have a gift. God has specifically given it to you, not to put in a box and hide it, but to use it for his glory. So if these are what the gifts are, how are they called to function together? So here's the second slide for today. The gifts, this is what they look like. This is why we have, number one, gifts, G, they are given by God to disciples. Verse 4, verse 11, it's the same spirit. It is God who chooses Again, no spirit, no gift. No spirit, no gift. It is not humans who get to determine what gift you have. And so this is where sometimes our charismatic brothers and sisters might get a little off track. Well, hey, if you want, I can pray for you to receive that gift. If somebody ever tells you that, you run. You run away. Because nobody outside of the Spirit of God has the ability to determine what gifts you get. At the same time, hear me when I say this. There is no particular gift that is a sign of salvation and others not. And there's, there's uh, I remember we had a, a guy on staff one time who, who grew up going to a, a Pentecostal church. And he said, well, if you truly want to be saved, he was told this was whole, if you truly want to be saved, if you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to speak in tongues. And so he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, never could speak. He had people several times over, lay hands, annoyed them, give them the, the gift of speaking in tongues, never could do it. And he wrestled with his identity in Christ because he had been told that because these people wanted to give him a particular gift that he wasn't receiving. And it wasn't until I sat down and talked to them, I said, have you read 1 Corinthians 12? Look at what it says. It is God who assigns the gifts. It is God who assigns the gifts. But he assigns them to people in the spirit only. That's the first thing. God gives the gifts to disciples. Number two, or letter I, is they are individually assigned. And what I mean by that is, is we are not all called to have the same gifts. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Your gifts are your gifts. My gifts are my gifts. And if I were to go back to that thing, my top three gifts are probably apostleship, prophecy, and discernment. Starting and leading things, yelling at people to follow the Word of God, and discernment. I'm trying to distinguish things. But the thing is, they don't make me more special. Because I am up here, I don't have more of the Holy Spirit in my life. God doesn't love me more because I have a certain gift above people who have the gift of, of, of helps or the gift of administration. Like people always want to say, Eric, do you ever get nervous going on stage to preach? And I say, never. I've never been nervous once in my life to come on this stage. Never. Some people, are, like studies show that people would rather be in the casket than they would be given the eulogy. You heard that? 
Never, even when I was in middle school, and they'd be like, who wants to say something? Uh, no, I'm not raising my hand. Eric, you go say something. Okay, and I get up there, never nervous. I'm not sweating. It's just why? It's because I learned that God has given me the gift, the ability to get up in front of people and talk. It's a gift. But just because I have it, it's been assigned to me, doesn't mean you need to have it, or it also doesn't mean you need to have the same gifts as me to be loved by God. At the same time, too, like, mercy is a gift. Helps is a gift, and I don't have those whatsoever. So, like, when people, they want to come and meet with me for, like, counseling, like, like I, I, I'm trying to learn and grow in my discipline of showing mercy, but people come in, like, what they need is, like, somebody, like, shepherd them and pastor them. Okay, okay, let me understand you, and, and okay, let's, let me ask you some questions. How do you feel about this? How does this make you feel? Like, that's what they need. And when they sit down with me, I just sit there, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. You're being dumb, you're stupid, figure it out, move on next. Like, this is the way it works. I don't have that gift. But then if you want somebody to, like, pray for you, care for you, show you mercy, Aaron Fenelon, one of our pastors, is unbelievable at this. A prayer request comes in, we find out about something, she's on the phone, she's texting. It's absolutely, my, it is clear the spirit of God is evident in her life. If you need somebody to be a wise counselor with you, Michelle Jacobs, Samuel Green, both of them will sit down, hear you out, they will give you Mercy. They will give you care. They're not just going to say, fix it, go do this. They're going to show you something that matters. Your gifts are your gifts. My gifts are my gifts. They've been individually assigned. Letter F. Gifts are for furthering ministry in the mission of God. Gifts aren't given so that you can build a platform. Gifts aren't given so that you can just hold them to yourselves. It says there is for serving, they are for working, they are for the common good. You know, I was a Boy Scout for like a week and a half once. It was a great week and a half of my life. When I got the uniform, and they give you that booklet, there's a booklet, and it's like, okay, you want to earn all these merit badges or these belt loops or whatever. And the first thing I did is I went home, and I flipped through the book. I was like, okay, I could do that one, could do that one, could do that. I think at one point I, like, forged my mom's signature a few times so I could earn a few extra ones, just being honest, okay? And, and, and the whole point is, like, I got, you got all those belt loops and those merit badges. In, like, a week and a half, I had, like, amassed, like, 20 of them. And they put them all in, and then I put them on, and I was like, cool, now what do we do with them? I'm like, no, they're just yours. Just keep them. I was like, this is stupid. Like, this is, I don't understand what these are for outside to say you did something. And sometimes we come to spiritual gifts, and we think of them as like spiritual merit badges. Because you have done enough, because Jesus loves you more than him or her, you get this particular gift. And the Spirit says, no, 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 no. You get a gift purely because you belong to Jesus. Now, you can suppress your gift. You can hide your gift. You cannot understand it or not use it. But they're not spiritual merit badges but they've all been given to us to reach people for the good news of Jesus. Letter T, spiritual gifts are to be taken seriously, kind of flows in. Whenever I sit down and talk to people over coffee or lunch, uh, guys struggling in their faith oftentimes, like, hey, what's going on? It's like, I don't know, man, I just have a hard time being on fire. I have a hard time just kind of being hyped up for, for Jesus, for church, for ministry or whatever. And I always have been learning to ask them, like, hey, so, so what are your spiritual gifts? I don't know. Well, maybe start there. Maybe find out the, the heartbeat, the things that ping inside of you that Jesus has done. Because if you try to follow Jesus in a way in which your spiritual gifts aren't being used or, or fueled, chances are it's going to seem kind of like, like abrasive. It's going to seem like it's not quite clicking. Like some of you part, know part of my story. I've shared it before. 
When I was in high school, I had the opportunity. Uh, I was going to go be a physical therapist. There was a practice that was going to be given to me. I wanted to make a bunch of money and hang out with athletes. That's all I wanted to do. And, um, and so it wasn't until college in which uh, I got injured freshman year playing basketball and then kind of had this heart-to-heart moment with God and God was saying, no, 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 we're done with your plans. It's time for mine. Because I didn't realize all throughout high school, like I was voted class president three times. Didn't even try. Like it was either a really good practical joke by all my classmates or God instilled something in me. Like all these people, they had like signs and slogans and I would just like walk up there and be like, yo, vote for me, deuces, and walk off. And then all of a sudden, they're like, Eric, you're pretty. I was like, I don't really even know. I was like, it looks good on the resume. It's the only reason I did it. But there was something inside of me that people saw. I had mentors say, Eric, you need to do this. You have something bigger than your life. And that's what led me here. That if I didn't have an understanding of my spiritual gifts, if I didn't want to know them or use one, I would not be your pastor. I'm just being point blank. I'd be off chasing my dreams. I'd be trying to make as much money as possible, trying to build my thing. I probably don't even have the gift of making money, so that probably wouldn't have worked out well. Because the point is that when you know your spiritual gifts and you take them seriously, God will do amazing things in your life. Sometimes it might scare you. Sometimes every day is going to feel like a step of faith, but that's exactly where he wants you because he doesn't want you to walk in your confidence. He wants you to walk in his. And here's the last part, letter S. Gifts are to be shared in community. Every verse you read about spiritual gifts, it's always in the context of the church. It's always in the context of relationships. Sometimes we we treat spiritual gifts like like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. My precious, it's mine, mine. This is mine. This is for me and for Jesus, not for you. And every single time, it's for the common good to reveal his name, make his name great. So let me just say this as as I wrap up this morning. Is some of you, you know what your gifts are and you use them, and it's amazing to watch. Others of you, you probably have an inkling from this message. The the Spirit might be pinging in your heart and mind saying, that's you, that's you, but you've been afraid to use it, or you've used it for your own self-promotion and not for the benefit of the ministry or the mission of the church. And others of you, you might be sitting there like, I want to know. I need some help. I need some guidance. I need some discernment. So mark your calendars, November 12th, uh, Samuel and I and some of our team, we are putting together this thing called First Fit because we want to help you understand and know your spiritual gifts because we believe that ministry is best done in our gifting. November 12th, coming up, we'll have more details coming forward. But let me close with just this last thought. One of the things I think we sometimes miss and over uh, forget to emphasize is that when it comes to our spiritual gifts, we must be thriving in our discipleship with Jesus to begin with. And so I'm going to close with this thought, and I'm going to read a passage as we get ready for communion. Is that God must work in you before he works through you. God's not going to give you ministry fruit unless he has seen the fruit of your heart and the fruit of your faith. God's not going to give you a platform. He's not going to put you in front of others. He's not going to call you to lead unless he knows that you are humble and ready to do so. God's not going to bless you with abundant financial resources unless he knows deep down that you know how to steward those well. If you have the gift of helps and service, he's going to put you in situations where learning that the fruit of your heart is in play. But God must do a work in you and in us before he does a work through us. Whenever it comes to spiritual gifts, I'm going to close with this. You might have the question, what are they? 
You might have the question, why do we have them? But I want to close with a prophetic question. Why do I care? Because I think sometimes we approach church and faith and just say, well, Eric, I like watching you preach. Eric, I like coming to this church. I like that other people take care of my kids. I just like to show up. Why should I care in the first place about finding and discerning my gifts and putting them into practice? And part of me is just say, okay, it's your faith, not mine. That's kind of lame. That's kind of selfish. It's like what my son does when, when, when my daughter steals the lightsaber from him and he wants it back. Well, it's mine. It's like, whatever, get over it. Why should you care about your spiritual gifts? Do you want to be a passive participant in the family of God or do you want to be an active one? Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to be that new creation who steps in and steps up for the sake of not revealing your glory but the glory of God? God has given you a gift. He might have given you multiple gifts, and you need to find them out. You need to use them because the only person we think, we think, well, if I don't use my gifts, I shortchange myself. And the reality is, is if you have gifts and you're not using them, you're not just shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging this church. You're shortchanging the brothers. You could be shortchanging your neighbors who desperately want hope and peace and meaning in life, but because you're too afraid to step into your gifts, they don't get to know Jesus yet. Why should you care about your gifts? Because eternity is at stake. It's because there's so much work to be done, and we want you to know it, to love it, and to live in it. So as we prepare for a communion, instead of giving you like another... 17 minutes, rah, rah, rah. I want to just close with reading the parable of the talents. Why should you care about your gifts? I'm going to let Jesus speak to you from his words as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Matthew chapter 25. Parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So he also, with the one with two bags of gold, gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's treasure. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold and seeing I have given you four. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came and said, master, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid And I went out and I hid your treasure in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What type of servant do you want to be? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth in our lives. I thank you that your grace, your grace and nothing else fills and sustains not just our salvation, but our sanctification, our becoming like you. God, sometimes the hardest thing about following you is getting ourselves out of the way, putting our selfish desires aside, doing things that scare us but would bring you honor and glory. Lord, my prayer is that we become like those servants of two, the servants of five, that you have given us gifts, you have given us power, you have given us treasure, not to hide it, not to keep it from ourselves, not to be scared of you, but to say that you have given it to us in boldness and confidence. May we be bold and confident within return. So God, I, I, I pray supernaturally this morning that for every single person in this room, people watching online, whenever they, they, they come across this, Lord, that you reveal to them, if they are a disciple of you, their gifts. And it's not just the free gift of salvation. It is the gift to have meaning, have purpose, to have value. It is the gift to be somebody in your family, in your kingdom, because you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Whatever might be in the way, Lord, may we slay that. If the idol of you, if the idol of I, if the idol of me gets in the way, may we cast that aside. Lord, we want to be obedient. We want to be good servants because we desperately want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we praise you for your grace and your spirit that empowers us to live as new creations. It's that we pray. Amen.